So. If you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. We'll be reading the entire 27 verses together and learning a little bit about this man Felix, his wife Drusilla, and the Apostle Paul. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 24, we'll begin at verse 1 and go all the way through. You'll find this page 932 in your pew Bible, if you have no Bible. Acts 24, verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Having hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing so, uh, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they thought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. They ought to be here. Or else, let these men themselves say what wrongdoings they found when I stood before that council. Other than this, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having rather an accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribute, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. 
And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for this present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless the preaching of your word now. May we learn something about you and something about us in this passage. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We are just about finished with this amazing book. As a matter of fact, we've got just three chapters left. And as you probably know, Dr. Luke is the most prolific writer of the New Testament, having written almost 30% of the text in our New Testament. But it's interesting to note that Luke spends exactly seven verses That's Luke chapter 2 in his gospel, verses 1 through 7, on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the text that we've been around about in the last several weeks and with more to come, he spends six entire chapters around this business of Paul coming back from the elders at Ephesus and being arrested in the temple in 21, and then before the mob in 22, before the Sanhedrin in 23, and now today before Felix in 24, and then before Festus in 25, and finally Agrippa in 26. So hopefully we can see and learn a little bit about why Paul would, why Luke would spend that much time and effort, and the Holy Spirit inspire that much text around this time in Paul's life. Now you remember from last week that there was a a coup and there was a plot against Paul by 40-some-odd Jews. And they had made a vow that they would not go three days or they would not eat or drink until Paul was dead. Well, now we're some six days, seven days past that, and unless they broke that vow, all 40 are dead, which we know they broke the vow as easy as they made it. But you recall a tribune, Lysias, who was the head of the garrison in Jerusalem, found out about this plot, and he sent in chapter 23, 470 soldiers to take Paul to Caesarea to get in front of Felix. Ten to one to make sure that this happened. So we're here and we've got Paul in front of Felix and we are going to see this chapter break out in two scenes. The first scene will be Paul in front of Felix publicly at this trial. And the second surprising scene we will see Felix in front of Paul privately. And we'll see the true characters of these men and what God has done through his spirit in this great man, the apostle Paul. So let's start 
at verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. Many of you may know the name Hamilton Berger. Only the old people would chuckle at that. Hamilton Berger was one of the most famous district attorneys in this country from 1957 through the late 60s. Hamilton Berger was the chief prosecutor for the state of California and the city of Los Angeles. In those years, Hamilton Berger tried 271 mostly capital cases for the state of California. Hamilton Berger's record in those cases was exactly one win, one hung jury, and 269 losses. And if you know anything about Hamilton Berger, you will know why he lost 269 out of 271 cases. And, that's, and that is because even though Hamilton Berger was a dashing man, a handsome man, an eloquent man, knowing the law, he had to face another attorney by the name of Perry Mason. And Berger did not have a shot. And if you ever watched one of those, and I will tell you, parents, it's, it would be a good thing to find them streaming somewhere and watch those with your children, For every episode is just about the same. It starts off with some capital crime, and they never show it, of course, because they had class back then. But you watch the hour unfold, and you know how it's going to end. Perry Mason is going to get his client off the hook but you have no idea how this is going to happen. And at the very end, you go, oh, what brilliance. How did he see that? And it always had something to do with the human nature, the law itself. But Perry Mason would spin his tail and all of a sudden would come up with something. And most of the time, Hamilton Berger would say, oh, yeah, that's good. And he would lose and the case would be dismissed. This is exactly what is happening in this passage here. The Jews, Ananias, has brought a hired gun in to do the bidding for the, uh, the Jews. His name is one Tertullus. He is an orator. And he lays down before the governor this case against Paul. He is a hired gun. He is sharp. He knows the law. And he knows the, the theory and the practice of oratory. And here's what he says, starting at verse 2. And then when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and in everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude but to detain you no further, I beg your kindness to hear us briefly. Now, my sainted mother, who went to her last church service sitting right where Linda is today in the third row, when my, if my mother read that, she would say what she did to us quite a bit. 
This is hogwash. It's made up. It is gratuitous. And it actually, there's actually a Latin uh, oratory name for this. It's called Captatio Benevolentia. It's called, the name means fishing for goodwill. And we'll actually see Paul start that, but in a most honest way. But this uh, hired gun has three points, and he gets right to them in verse 5. He says, For we have found this man first a plague who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. Two, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And three, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. And he's done. And then verse, uh, verse uh, 10, uh, excuse me, um, uh, verse 9, the Jews also, the ones in the courtroom, join in the charge, affirming all of these things. Now, what you have in here, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 8, verses 44 and 45, as the same thing happened to him, didn't he? He was given trumped-up charges. He was in front of, a, uh, uh, of the same position, governor uh, at that time, Pontius Pilate. Pilate didn't want to make a decision. He knew he was innocent. And what does Jesus say to these folks? You can just listen or turn to John chapter 8, starting at verse 42. Jesus said to them, and he may as well be saying it to the Jews there who were, by the way, elders, this con artist, lawyer, and the high priest. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot hear, bear to hear my word. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. What, we're, what we see here is a game a terrible game. You may not know the name of, of Joe South. Some of you may. Uh, he had a song called Games People Play. And it starts out with the games people play now. By the way, if you don't know Joe South, just Google him. Games People Play was the, won the Grammy for Song of the Year in 1970. Oh, the games people play now. Every night and every day now, never meaning what they say now, and never saying what they mean. Oh, they while away the hours in their ivory towers until they're covered up with flowers in the back of a black limousine. La 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 la
I'm talking about you and me and the games people play. This is a game. They don't care about the truth. They never have. They never will. They want this man dead. So the governor hears this. Isn't it something, though, when you start to think about it? I, as, I, as I went through this text in the last few weeks, things pop into your head, don't they, when you read the Scripture? That song is one of the things that popped into my head, and it's kind of a curse having so many uh, 1970s songs, lyrics memorized. They, they pop in and out at will. But also what pops in and out of will, isn't it, are things that we learn in Sunday school. From the earliest days, I was reading an article this week from one of the, I think, second-in-command at Christianity Today saying, Sunday school is dead, and aren't we glad about it? He goes on to mention that there would not be one new church plant in this country that would think about having Sunday school. And he goes on to say and give the background of Sunday school, which was, by the way, a way of, of educating non-believers' children and a way, a strategy for church growth. And since we now have the market on what church growth should be, this is a unneeded, unnecessary, and unhelpful practice in churches. What came to my mind is... <clears throat> A couple of years ago, when I was uh, writing my uh, English Bible written exam, they asked the second question, I believe, was, write the books of the New Testament out in order. And every time I think about that, the same thing comes to my mind. What I was taught at Milwaukee Lutheran Church when I was in third grade Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, etc. Write them out. I've never thought about that ever. It's there. It's deep. And so are things like Zacchaeus was a wee little man and Jesus loves me and all of the things that we sang in Sunday school that our kids will be singing in this place as long as as the current group of elders are here, I believe. Anyway, we'll get back to that in a little bit. So the governor, in verse 10, and when the governor, all he does to Paul, he hears this, and by the way, don't forget, he knows the truth, doesn't he? We have just a page back in Acts 23, we have the letter that Lysias sent to uh, Felix with the... Uh, with, with, the, with the prisoner. In verse 26 of 23, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor of Felix, greetings. He goes on to say, verse 29, I found that he was being accused and questioned of their law, but charged with nothing, zero, nothing deserving, either death nor imprisonment. Felix knows what's going on, and he nods to Paul. And before Paul goes, let's meet this man, Felix, and get to know him a little more. Felix's name is Marcus Antonius Felix. 
He was born a slave with the name Marcus Antonius. As fate, as God would have it, he lived and grew up in the house of one Claudius, a Roman uh, high-ranking official who ends up raising all the way to the point of the emperor. And with him goes this slave named Marcus Antonius. Until uh, Claudius goes to Rome to, to be permanent, and he sets Felix free as a slave. And he comes with him, and he appoints him, and he grows in his, in his stature in the Roman government. And it's Felix himself that gives himself the name Felix. It's Marcus Antonius Felix. And if you remember your beginning Latin, if you've ever had it, Felix simply means happy. So this is Mr. Happy. Felix. Of course, he's happy to be not a slave anymore. But according to both Roman and Jewish historians, that would be Tacitus and Josephus, this is what is said about the reputation of this man. He, quote, indulged in every kind of barbarity and lust. He exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. He's known for two things, cruelty and greed. And he turns to Paul and says, nodding, go. And Paul quickly defends himself. He says, he does the same thing that, uh, that Tertullus does, only in a healthy way. He says, knowing for many years you've been a judge over this nation, that's a fact. I cheerfully make my defense. Simple, to the point, with integrity. Here it is. <clears throat> you can verify it's not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. And neither can they prove to you that they now, what they now bring up against me. Point number one is just not true. Never happened. Point number two, the sect being the ringleader of the sect. He says in verse 14 for point two, but this I confess, that according to the way which they call a sect, and boy, underline these, he says, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Boy, and Luke's words in his gospel in chapter 24 just come to mind, don't they? When Jesus says that he began to open the scriptures to those on the road to Emmaus and told them about everything written in Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, and it says they opened up their hearts to understand. And we see what Paul is talking about here. But more than that, he says, <clears throat> having hope in, a God, in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience between God and man. And finally, on point number three, on the sedition of the temple, he says, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. He had 
left the, the Ephesian elders with the money he was want, wanting to get back, as you recall in, in chapter 20, before the, the festival, to give the money uh, that he had collected along the way. And he says, verse 18, while I was doing so, they found me purified in the temple and without any crowd or tumult. But some of the Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make accusations should they have anything against me or else these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And we remember last week when we saw that brilliant move that he made with the Sadducees and the Pharisees bringing them into an internal fight about the resurrection. I don't know, maybe it was fifth grade that, that I learned in Sunday school. Uh, you know, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection nor angels, and so they were sad, you see. You'll never forget that now that I told you that. It's in there, and it just, it'll come up from time to time. So what happens? Verse 22, Felix is in the same position that the governor Pontius Pilate was. He knows he's innocent. He knows it's all a scam and a fabrication. He knows Paul is telling the truth. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribute, tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. He simply puts it off, knowing the truth of the games people play. He's playing the game too. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but having some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. And there ends scene one. We go on to scene two, and we are not expecting this at all. Scene two is not public, it's private. We don't know where this meeting took place, but it says in verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. Now we have to talk about this woman, Drusilla. This is the only place her name is mentioned in the scriptures. Yet she and her family are the center of the division of the New Testament from its very first pages throughout the end. Let's meet her. Her entire life has been an opposition of this way, yet it says that she was Jewish. And the same historians tell her that to appease the Jew, her father had her raised in the Jewish faith. As a matter of fact, when he gave her off to be married at age 14, the husband, which was another a strategic leader, was forced to have a circumcision at 37 years old to marry her. She was brought up with the same songs and the same education of the Jew. Yet her great-grandfather was Herod the Great, we know who Herod the Great was, don't we? He was the one that slaughtered all the children when Jesus was born. Her great-grandparents on her mother's side were none other than Antony and Cleopatra. There was only one thing that is talked about by every historian about this woman, Drusilla, and it, it was that she may have been the most beautiful woman in all of the Roman Empire. 
this 14-year-old girl being married. Now she's married to Felix, and we'll talk about that in a second. Her grandfather was Herod Antipas. We remember him. What did he do? He beheaded John the Baptist. Her father was Herod the king. In Acts chapter 12, what did he do? He slayed the brother of James with a sword. Remember, put Peter in prison. And God killed him and he was eaten with worms, her dad. Her brother is Agrippa, who we will meet in two chapters, in chapter 26. This woman is a key key kingpin of this line of the Herods. And she's now married to this guy. Well, how did that happen? Felix, this lustful man, met her when she was 14 at the first marriage. He hired a magician from Cyprus to put a spell on her. I don't know if that worked or not, but to woo him, her to him. He was some 18 years older than her. And this young woman of 20 leaves her husband and comes to Felix months before they are in front of Paul. With that as a background, let's look at this strange encounter in our scene number two. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him. No, we don't know. He may have come home after the trial. Hey, whatever happened to that Paul guy? Felix, I don't know, Drusilla. Well, I I put it off. I don't know. I don't think he's guilty. You know, I'd like to hear him. No, you don't. Yeah, I I would. I'd I'd like to hear this guy. I'd like to hear all about him. Let's have him over. Or let's go to him or whoever they, whatever they schemed, so they did. He sent for Paul and heard him speak first about faith in Christ Jesus. Another Sunday school tidbit. What is faith? Faith is forsaking all I trust him. Maybe that was fifth grade for me, sixth grade, who knows? I learned it somewhere in Sunday school, never forgot it. He speaks to them about faith in Christ Jesus. And you can imagine the discussion. Well, what does this mean? Well, I will tell you, guys, I was just like you. I was doubtful. As a matter of fact, I have compassion on those people in court. Felix, you know that they were lying, don't you? Yeah, I was, I was one of them. Matter of fact, I was standing there. You may have heard of the, the, the first deacon, Stephen. I was standing there when he died. And I had that same hatred in my heart that you saw in that, that courtroom. And I went up to bound these folks of the way, the same nomenclature. And he said, I met Jesus on the way. And I changed. And you can too, because he actually has risen from the dead. Imagine how that discussion went. But then, after talking about what faith in Christ Jesus is, he elaborates it with these three points. And considering who he had in front of him, look at the courage of this man. What comes to mind to me, kids, 
The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Bible. He's standing alone. Have we in this room ever stood alone like this? Look at what he preaches to them. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness, what do you mean by righteousness? I mean doing the right thing. I mean not sinning. Mr. Happy, righteousness, self-control, a courage this man had. He could have been killed. He could have wiped him out right then. He talks about righteousness and self-control and doesn't stop there. And he says, Felix and Drusilla, there is a coming judgment, just like I said in court, that there will be a resurrection of both the living and the dead and the living to eternal life and the damned to eternal death. It's coming. But good for you, there was one righteous. Because there is none righteous, no, not one of us. I'm just like you. There was one righteous. There was one that had self-control, and maybe he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know. But obviously, they, neither of them had any self-control, and he talks about the coming judgment. So, what happens to these? We don't know what happens to Felix. We know they stay together. We know that there was no conversion there. And Felix's true uh, sentiment comes out when we say that he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent him off for him often and conversed with him. He's not changed, and he'll never, he'll never change. In August of 79 AD, Drusilla the last we hear of her, she's vacationing with her 10-year-old son. The name of her son is not a biblical name. It's Marcus Antonius, like his father, Agrippus. And they're vacationing in the suite at the top of the most beautiful inn in Pompeii next to Mount Vesuvius. And unexpected, they about one in the afternoon, there's a shaking and they don't know what is. And within the next two hours, there's 20 feet of ash and they're buried alive. And most likely, Drusilla went into a Christless eternity. So what do we learn from this as we begin to close? What, what, what do we how, how do we do this? How, how do we take this and apply this very quickly to our own lives? Well, number one, oh, the joy of speaking for Christ, both publicly, and not everyone here will don a pulpit like this or, or preach or teach a Sunday school class publicly, but all of us should be preaching privately. And the tone 
I think we learn. You know, Paul was different in public than he was in private. He reasoned with them. Oh, Felix, please, you, you need to come to Christ. I did. I was wrong. You were, Drusilla, think about how you were raised. This is the culmination. Make a difference. Step out. Don't follow in the same footsteps as your parents and your family. Come to Jesus Christ. He may have even used the, or the, the ones, another Sunday school song that comes to my mind all the time. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That song has come into my heart and mind hundreds of times after I put faith in Christ and yours as well. Oh, the joy of speaking for Christ both publicly and privately. Will you, some of you in here, some of us in here, haven't talked to another person about the gospel, even given our testimony in years? Let's do it. And finally, John Calvin says in his third chapter of the Institutes that all of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, all of the knowledge of the Gospels, all the knowledge of doctrine mean nothing without union with Jesus Christ. Have you come to him honestly by faith? Or is Sunday morning for you another game that people play? Let's hope not. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this scene, these two scenes. We thank you that there was one man of character, one man that stood, that's the Apostle Paul, and Lord, as he has said to us, Through inspiration, let us follow him as he followed Christ. Lord, we confess that many times we do put on masks and we don't don't say what we mean or mean what we say, but Lord, help us to be honest in front of you and others. And Lord, if there would be anybody here who has never honestly asked you into their heart through faith and repentance. Will you make that happen? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.